Today's episode is with a total e-commerce marketing nerd that specializes in retention marketing and working with purpose-driven brands, trying to make the world a better place. She mainly focuses working with brands as a consultant and fractional retention marketing director, which translates to a one-woman show that can help accomplish all of your brand's retention needs, strategic planning, segmenting, flow optimization, and campaign setup. Please welcome Sophia Babb. Thanks for joining me. Excited to be here. That's quite the intro. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, to be fair, to be fair, most of it was uh, from your website. Uh, yeah. So thanks for doing that. Uh, it was really easy. My, made my prep easy. So <laughs> what, um, you, you're coming with a, a lot of experience on from brand side, agency, now as like a, a freelancer consultant. Um, why have you uh, been focused on purpose-driven brands? What what led you to that part of your journey? And why are you focused oh, on that now? It's really uh, just a matter of like, do I believe in the brand or not? Like, can I actually get behind it? Because I'm just going to do a much better job if I actually believe in the brand. If it's something I would use or something I would support, um, then I'm just going to bring my full self to it instead of, you know, if it's something that I, I want it. And I think that goes for most marketers. Like it's, I think you're going to get a better deal when you're working with people who get your brand. And that's what I'm all about. I'm always trying to use purpose-driven brands in my personal life, uh, whether that's eco-friendly, more sustainable, like thoughtful ingredients. Um, and so why not focus on that in my professional life too? And let me tell you, it's made my life a hell of a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, I, I am sure uh, as Freelancers, consultants, agency folks, if we've all maybe had those clients in the past who are like, oh, I don't really believe in this. Or like, why are mm -hmm. we like, are you sure? Or like, this is uh, for like men in their 60s and I have nothing to do with that, you know, and I'm trying to put my brain in that audience, but it's not quite fitting. <laughs> it doesn't quite align. Yeah. So uh, that makes a ton of sense. Um, so that's how you that makes sense about being focused mm -hmm. on purpose-driven brands. Um, I guess then, I, I, like I said, you were on brand side, you've been on the agency side, now you're more focused on freelancing. You've talked about wanting to help founders better understand how to hire, how to vet, mm -hmm. and the right partners. Of So let's talk a little bit more about that. How do we hire? Like, when do we hire? Let's talk a little bit more about that. So what's what's kind of the first thing on your mind when it comes to the hiring process? For sure. Uh, I mean, first is, uh, is there a portfolio where you can see something where it clearly um, has something to do with your brand? So if someone's coming at you and they look like they have great experience and it's been years but of experience, but they've only focused on something that has nothing to do with your brand. Let's say it's like B2B companies, but you're an e-commerce brand. It's like, that's not going to translate as well. And you're probably going to have to spend more time training them than you would otherwise. So I like hiring people who, especially if it's something specialized, um, who you won't have to train them at all. And they're just going to kind of get it. And that's why, like for me, like when I come on board with a purpose-driven brand, it's like, I get that audience. I work with it every single day. So we're going to be able to onboard quickly. Um, and then when I was hiring for previous brands I worked for, it's that same thing. Like, do they get it? And you can kind of have a sense of that through their portfolio and their experience. 
Uh, but if they don't have the portfolio and instead you're going off of vibes, that's okay too, because culture is really important. And when you're hiring, especially in a small startup, because you're going to be working with these people every day, so you better like them. If you're going off of vibes, you got to have the hunger. Um, so are they really eager to learn more about your brand? Are they like pushing towards that in their portfolio? Maybe it's not all that you see, you know, we can't expect someone to have specialized their entire career around your brand. Um, but just seeing like pockets of like hints saying, is this a person who gets our, my brand and my voice? Because um, the faster an e-commerce brand that's, you know, especially a smaller startup, the faster that they can get onboarded and understand who you are, what's your tone, it's just going to make your life easier. Go ahead. If you, if you have more, I was going to just ask. Yeah, I really, it was more just like summing it up that the vibes are important. Um, I think I, in the past, I used to think that the skill was all that mattered, but, and that, I think that's true. But um, when you're working with someone every single day and it's a small startup, you're going to make, you need to make sure that you actually like them and that you get along. Because if you don't, it's going to suck. Yeah, vibes are important. Skills also important, uh, especially if you're a bootstrap founder. You're kind of like cool. I've been doing this for a while on my own. Uh, I started mm -hmm. doing email or SMS. I'm gonna hire someone else to do it. That is usually it's not always. That's usually an investment and mm -hmm. you know a new expense for them that they hadn't been spending before. And when you're spending your own money. And it's the first time you're doing it and the first time you're hiring someone, bringing them into your like baby, yeah. <laughs> like into your brand. Now it's talking about this. Like you need to understand like, cool, if I can work and talk with them every day is part of it. But how quickly can they ramp up and start getting me a return on my investment of hiring mm -hmm. them? Because that's the most important thing as a bootstrap founder. So uh, exactly. It makes a ton of sense of saying that. So I guess that was like a little bit about you, you know, you need to hire and you're starting to view and kind of check out other options, but what is the right time to hire someone? Like what are some of the variables or factors that go into deciding, huh, I should hire someone for this. Like, cause that's yeah. a whole, that's a whole other kind of story in itself. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a couple ways that you can decide um, if it's the right time for you to hire. I think first it starts with, of course, your budget. Like, do I even have the budget to hire? Because if you don't have the budget to hire, then you're not going to be um, really benefiting from spending time in that, that area. Because especially if you're like, well, I have a budget, but it's small and I might have to lowball people. It's like you're not going to get the best quality anyways, and it might just be a waste of money. Um, so budget is first, but let's say, okay, I do have the budget to spend, um, to hire someone. Maybe it means that my pay at the end of the day is a little bit lower since I'm bootstrap founder. Um, but let's say that my time is now at this point where I'm missing really big things that I know could bring in revenue for my brand, but I'm missing them because my plate is full. Like I'm running the day-to-day -day operations of this brand, making sure that things get sent out to the customers. Like I can't be thinking about TikTok right now, but I know that if I don't, <laughs> I'm gonna be left behind because this is a really important channel or email marketing. In my experience, I see that every single day where email is like the last thing on every brand's list, um, but they know they're missing it, but they just don't have time. So then it's, 
is the time that I could save by hiring this person to do this, would that also equal more revenue for the business? Um, I think that's like a, a very standard way to hire. And then three, as a, as a founder, as your team is getting bigger, you can't be in everything no matter what, like it, there is not enough time in your day to be an expert at these channels. So as you grow naturally, you will want to hire specialists or people who can help you with the day-to-day -day, um, mundane things. So you can lead the vision and lead with product development and product ideation. Um, so it's really timing and budget. I think those are pretty classic and yeah. making sure that when your budget is tight, Making sure that you hire the right person because mistakes can definitely be made, especially if you don't just have cash to throw around. And pretty much no one does. <laughs> it's not like that anymore. Yeah. You know, so so timing um, and then budget are really two good ones uh, to keep in mind for sure. And I, uh, capacity, the, like you're saying, is just like your time. Uh, I think one more to throw in there uh, to add in is your own experience and expertise. No two mm -hmm. founders are the same. And some might have a background in marketing. And then the yeah. first thing they outsource is, is email because they're the paid ads person. And so, you know, that might just differ from each person. So uh, I think yeah, that's exactly. those, are, those are really good, really great um, points there. So then we have when to hire kind of like how to, uh, vibe check with the portfolio and the, the culture fit. But then what's the expectation of, okay, cool. I think I've narrowed it down and hired this freelancer or agency. What should be the mindset or expectation in their head of my return on investment or mm -hmm. how things should go? Like what, how does that typically how does that happen? Yeah, I think, I mean, it depends on what you're hiring for, right? Like some things you may hire and it's, you're never going to see an immediate return. Um, maybe it's a, maybe you're going to see immediate return through an ad agency, I would hope. <laughs> but um, I think I would focus on hiring for things that you can measure a return, especially in the early days when budget is uh, a lot more tighter, a lot tighter. And so with an ad agency, a big mistake I see brands making is they're just like, I don't get Facebook. It's not my thing. It's overwhelming. I'm just going to hire an agency and let them run with it. This is just a recipe for a disaster because if you don't understand Facebook and what your audience responds to on Facebook, then you're not going to be helping that agency create good creatives. They're just going to be like figuring stuff out. And maybe if they're really good, they'll help you like figure out the audience and create creatives for you. But I think that's rare. And usually they're going to charge you an arm and a leg for that. But I think as a brand, especially in the early days, you really need to know how to run ads and know how to run them well. Even if you're just doing $100 a day, maybe you're not scaling to $30,000 a day really quick. And maybe that's when an agency can help you is when you feel good with what you know, and then you can start scaling. But just as a founder, especially, I'm like, get in your ads account, just like figure it out. It's not that hard. It's really not hard to learn. <laughs> so it's like, you could be making so much more money just by knowing and understanding your audience and saving money in effect. It's probably not the best use of your time as you like grow and grow and scale. But at the beginning, it's probably one of the best places you can spend time. And so you need to be looking for return. If you do hire an ad agency, immediately <laughs> um 
But then, like I said, I, I see a lot of brands being like, well, this ad agency didn't find a return for me. So it's just not working. But it's like, do you know what works? Like, do you know your audience? Because if you if you don't, you're probably not setting them up for success either. Right. Yeah. No, it's an excellent point, especially with ad agencies in particular. Yeah. Because there's, there's the, uh, this is coming from a someone who is a media buyer primarily in a paid ads background and was freelance consulting for brands before uh there's the management fee and then there's the yeah. actual ad spend like the actual yeah. money on facebook so you have to keep and that's all not that even in including creative like making creative like who's doing that is that you is that them like there's so many costs that go into it so you really have to be wise yeah so you have to make sure that's uh I'm glad you said it. It's not that hard. Uh, like it, technically speaking, it's not super difficult and it's not mind-blowingly hard to actually get mm -hmm. things set up. It might take some time and effort and failures uh, to actually get money back in the door and like the right return, but to actually mm -hmm. go in and set up and understand what you're doing and saying it's basic marketing. You're just putting it into this like interface, into this dashboard. Exactly. So I'm, I'm glad you. I'm glad you said it. Uh, <laughs> I think it's scary more than anything for founders and for people who are running ads for the first time. It's just scary. And I think that's why brands often um, in the early stages over rely on ad agencies to just hold their hand through it. But um, it's going to be so much better if you could face that giant on Facebook. Is it really? It's it's not that hard. Like it it looks scary it feels scary but like i said even 20 dollars a day you're gonna learn so much yes yeah you definitely will you'll start to understand and you'll get maybe start to get some comments and questions mm -hmm. and you'll be able to get feedback that way so whether oh cool then i can change my messaging because they i keep getting the same question over and over yeah. that that's a le lesson learned that's a return mm -hmm. on something maybe it's not you know, your 4X ROAS that you need. Yeah. But <laughs> man, it's still something. You're still learning and growing. So I love your perspective on that. So that's kind of, I, I guess, going back to the original question, depends on what you're hiring for. Depends, you know, on the timeline in which you need them to succeed. If it's a one-off project or if it's an ongoing retainer, mm -hmm. all, that, all that stuff sort of depends. Well, like retention marketing is one, you know, I'm, I'm used to this every day where a brand is like, what can I expect? Like, is it worth the investment for me to do this? And um, usually it depends on how many subscribers you actually have that are active and how much traffic you're coming in through your site. Like if you have like a thousand emails and you get one email sign up a month, <laughs> that's an exaggeration, but uh, you're probably not going to get the, a return on my fee. So it's best for you to not hire me at this point. But let's say you have 30,000 active subscribers and you're getting healthy traffic every month, say a thousand new leads. Oh yeah, I can definitely bring in um, at least two to three times at least of what you're paying me uh, through retention marketing. So um, I think when you're hiring a email marketer, they can promise you the world. Um, but there are some things that email marketers simply can't do. My job as an email marketer is to um, help your customers repurchase, um, have flows set up that are like brilliant and that I'm testing on all the time. So you don't have to think about that. But I am not, as an email retention marketer, I'm not creating new customers for you generally. 
It's like the ads have done that. However, you've gotten traffic, maybe it's through TikTok or Instagram. They've already done that. They've gotten them in the door. I'm just helping you retain them and and keep them coming back. And so I think that's a misconception is that um, retention marketing companies or freelancers will help 10x your business. Um, I just don't, it's not possible on our end. We're here to help you with your growth, but I'm not creating growth usually on my end. Thank you for saying the truth. <laughs> what, what yeah, I there's so many the marketers well. that don't, that yeah. don't say that. But <laughs> Yeah, thank you. I uh, appreciate that. I think the more and more uh, Sophia is out in the world, the better. Uh, less brand founders will get kind of led astray of, mm-hmm. oh yeah, email, uh, 42 times return on investment. It's the most profitable <laughs> channel. That stat is thrown out every year for like the last decade or more of you should be getting $42 back for every $1 you put into email. So, yeah. I mean, do you, um, do you follow like Alex P on Twitter? She's great. She oh, has yeah, yeah. no best practices. She always talks about retention and how uh, it's really hard to actually track retention and how much it brings in because you would have to have cohorts and you would have to not email people and then see if they spent anyways. And I think there is this aspect of retention marketing where there are a lot of customers who are going to purchase no matter what you do, whether you email them or not. And then there are some, of course, that need the incentive through sales, discounts, um, value props, but they just need a little bit more convincing. That's where my job comes in. Like, unfortunately, with the way that reporting is, I get to take credit for customers that convert on emails, even if they were going to buy anyways. Sure. Um, But that's why I always tell brands that are like, they don't have huge budgets or they're really looking to increase revenue. I'm like, I'm happy to help you with these goals, but just know this is not going to be the overnight success. Like you're going to need to figure out your ad side for that. Yep. Um, And so, yeah, that's kind of my personal philosophy when it comes to promising revenue or not. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Alex is a great, she was a guest on the show previously. I'm sure I'll have her back on. She's um, amazing. She's the no best practices, even though I generally agree with that. But at the same time, there are certain fundamental things that you start with. So mm-hmm. but we're not here to dissect that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so speaking of your point about you taking credit for people that are likely to buy anyway um let's let's i know this is a touchy subject (laughs) attribution attribution so where do you stand on like email and sms attribution like there's the platform defaults every platform Mm -hmm. and tool has their own default setting in their window like what do you recommend or how do you navigate that with clients Yeah. Well, firstly, I don't recommend going off of the default attribution windows. Klaviyo's default is like five day um, click or open and uh, attentive is 30 days. And I think Postscript is even longer than that, which is like 30 days. That's insane. Um, (laughs) And so the other option, uh, that's a really, really generous attribution of like every dollar that's spent basically gets attributed to email um, and that in that sense. But then there's really like conservative approach, which is last click. But even Alex talks about last click, not even being the best measurement. But if you really want to be conservative, you could go to like one day click, not one day open, but one day click. 
And so really it comes down to like what you're looking for. Like, are you tracking um, your return on investment based on, are you paying this agency something? Um, are you like trying to measure it that way? Then maybe last click is the best um, way to go. If you're trying to, let's say have a longer buying cycle, maybe it's a little bit longer than, um, usually I say like three day click is a good like basis, a good place to go from. Maybe it's a little bit longer if it's a huge buying cycle because it's a really like expensive product that you're selling. Yeah. Um, I think really as a founder, you have to get really, really intimate with your numbers and you have to have a dashboard knowing here's how many dollars I need this channel to bring in every single day. And then you can make intelligent decisions on return on investment and how much, um, you know, should be measured attribution wise. If you're doing it that route, I would probably recommend one day click. Okay, cool. No, that's great. That's a great starting point. And, uh, I'm glad you, uh, I didn't know some of the 30 days for a text. I know because I was looking at uh, some of the attentive accounts I've gotten into and literally it said all of the revenue came from attentive and the client was like, look, it's working so well for us. Like let's double down on attentive. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is, <laughs> this is really expensive for you because text marketing is super expensive. And the two, I don't actually think it's working this well. Like let's scale this down and see how well it actually is working. Right. Okay. So, uh, and then you said five, five days on Clavio is the default for open or click. And then mm -hmm. you're saying about depending on the buying cycle, the price of the product. For example, I'm not asking this for any particular reason. Mm -hmm. Say it's a mattress. Like, yeah. what, would, what, would, what, <laughs> what would you change? Uh, what would you, um, do, let me give you more context instead of yeah. just like, you know, tell me what to do. Uh, free quick two minute consult. That's a uh, surprise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> our early survey results from post-purchase mm -hmm. um, people who buy from us either half know about us um, a month or less so mm. once they hear about us they buy within a month the other half it's two to four months or up to 12 months yeah so knowing that and the price point our average order value is 800 and up what would you what would you consider changing that window to? I would still probably recommend a um, three to four day click, just because um, if you're trying to measure if this email had something to do with them making a purchase, then that's a pretty accurate way to say it. Um, if even though it's a longer buying cycle, if you're sending on a regular cadence, there's a good chance that they're receiving and clicking and opening your emails within the time that they're deciding, even if it's six months later. Um, obviously, if they're not subscribed, then you can't attribute it to email. So then that's they're on their own. And that would be really interesting to see, like non-subscribed to email versus subscribed if the conversion rate's higher. I think that'd be interesting to look into. I actually bought a mattress recently online um, and I was one of those ones that bought within a month. I was like, I need a new mattress. I need it quick. I'm going to do some research and getting the welcome emails for all of the brands was actually really helpful because it allowed me to like compare and contrast. So yeah. um, I actually, this, this brand, I probably was converted better because they had a good like system of telling me about the brand through their welcome flow. Cool. Um, and so, yeah, I think attribution is a, is a weird world for email. I will say that. So it's yeah. really up to your comfort and what your OKRs and objectives are for your brand. Yep. Okay, cool. Uh, that makes sense. Um, we, 
I've been with the brand for almost four months now. We just got on Shopify last month. Uh, so in the five-year existence of the brand, I sent out the first email the other mm. two weeks ago. So that's why I was asking of, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, about that. It was pretty relevant. So appreciate the, the quick three-minute consult. Uh, you can bill me for that after. <laughs> um, so that's cool. That's good. That's helpful. So it, you're saying if an $800 and up mattress is three or four day click, like mm -hmm. your $30 skincare, beauty, apparel, shoes, $30, $50 more impulse-y type yeah. buys, that should be less than three or four days. I mean, yeah, if you want to be aggressive and want to be like really understanding what's converting, um, I think that's a good way to do it. The only thing is sometimes there are sale emails that, um, or maybe something new that has come out, but someone doesn't get to their inbox immediately. Um, and so maybe they're like following up from a day before, but they've clicked on it um, like three days ago, but then they just realized that they wanted to purchase. I think that's why a three-day window is okay. Because when you think about our buying behaviors, like our personal buying behaviors, I know for me, sometimes it is like three days of receiving an email and then actually making the purchase. And yeah. so I want to account for that too. Um but yeah, so it's really, like, like I said, it's up to how aggressive you want to be with tracking the profitability of a channel. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, and just like, this is very similar to ads and attribution. Uh, Facebook used to have 28-day click and 28-day view. Yeah. Uh, even you could change it too. So like yeah. uh, loads of, um, every platform wants to take the most credit for of saying, course. hey, Cool. We're do look. We're we're helping you make money. Keep giving us money, and you'll make yeah. make money. So just keep that in mind. As a as there's all kind of bias. Um, so that's cool. That's helpful to better understand. We've talked a little about hiring and that process. We talked briefly about attribution retention. What what's uh? I went to your website and and during my prep, what and this pretty uh interesting case study teaser kind of came up of like get the case study about high yeah. added an extra 250,000 a month for this brand. And I was like, Whoa, that's pretty neat. So, uh, would you be willing to share parts of that or another example that you've had yeah. that like you want to go into a little bit more and explain like the little bit more intricacies of it versus, Hey, I sent more emails and yeah. like, I got the more money. Yeah, I mean, well, to be fair, like if I was going to boil down the strategy, it would be I literally just created flows and emails for them that they weren't they didn't have before. Um, they were sending like maybe one time a week, maybe less. So like two to four emails a month. And then they didn't have like any flow set up except one welcome flow email. And this brand was doing so much money. Like they were getting like $10 million in revenue every year. And um, they, they were doing very well for themselves, but they didn't have email set up. And I'm like, you guys, this is a really big opportunity because this is a high um, high cost product. It's a long time of considering it. Your you've welcome flow and abandoned cart flows for sure could help with converting, um, and you're already doing great. So you know the product's good. So like let's let's like hit the ground running, get these flows out, and that alone with that welcome flow was just like immediate revenue added. Um, especially when we start doing win back and um, like re-engagement flows for people who had fallen off the wagon or um, since this is a longer time of considering, it's like expensive couches basically. Um, yeah. 
that added a lot of revenue pretty quick. And then we upped the campaigns to about two to three a week. Nice. Okay. So to put that into perspective, if they're already making around 10 million a year, yeah, 250K extra per month is about 3 million a year. So yeah. you just incrementally added, uh, increase their like by 30 percent yeah that's like a dream scenario email. for yeah. me <laughs> because i'm like i can actually help you you know some brands um i actually was talking to the brand recently that wanted to work with me but i was like you know i think i can i think i could help you like i for sure could do the things you want me to but you're already doing a great job with your own existing team like i don't know how much more revenue i can bring to the table other than what what you're getting right now yeah um and so like my dream scenario and what every brand owner's dream scenario should be is like, is this the right time, right fit where they can bring extra revenue beyond what I already have in house or what I can do myself. And so that one of course was like a, a key case study. Cause it's like, this is the type of brand I want to help is ones that actually need um, the help and I can be there for them. Nice. Yeah, no, that's super cool. Uh, that's really good. So then uh, this is tying back into the hiring, like the right agency, the right freelancers or the good ones will not accept every client lead that comes in the mm -hmm. door. Like exactly. they will turn you down just like you will turn down certain customers of your brand. If they're already chatting you or emailing or calling and like being negative or aggressive yeah. or rude, like you don't need to like, you don't need to ha like help them. Uh, you don't. They don't. You don't want their money. Yeah. Um, so same with the same on the service provider side. So it's pretty. In uh, I'm glad you brought that up. I, just I think like it's important for whenever you're vetting people to um, make sure that they're asking questions about you as well, like as a brand owner. Um, because if they're not, if they're just like, yeah, everything sounds good, and they're just pushing you towards a sale, you can you can tell. Um, one thing that I I, I don't want to forget to bring up is that. Um, there are people who are like trained in sales who get on these calls or they're agency owners or whatever they are. And they've like, they've trained in sales and, and the psychology of closing a sale. Um, I'm sure you've read about it. I'm, I know I have, but it does not feel good to do it because what they're doing is they're asking you questions that make you feel bad about yourself or your business. And then they basically like prime you to say that you need them. Um, if they're doing that to you just immediately, like that's a red flag, they might be able to provide a good service, but, um, I think it's better to work with real people who actually want to know you. They're not just trying to close you as a deal. Um, and especially for st like startups, I think you're especially prone to that, um, because you probably do need them, but you might not need that exact person. <laughs> that is excellent. Uh, that is really good. I feel very similarly when I I had a decent close rate and like yeah, but I did not have a formal strict script or sales process. I was just like, tell me about Same. the good. Like it's like, worked great know. for me <laughs> just being a human. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. But like Matt. Like how do you do it? I just ask some questions and like if I can't help them, I can't help them. Like, yeah. That's the whole point of. That's on us. That's our part of the business is to keep generating enough leads to be yeah. able to then qualify the right ones to, for us to work with and not have to take on every lead that comes in. The exactly. Door. So that's not the brand owner's fault. That's on our side, but mm -hmm. um, that's, that's good. That's interesting. So, um, okay. Going back to that case study then uh, briefly, uh, a couple more things on that. 
is when you talk about increasing the campaign frequency, and you said before is like maybe twice to four times a month, and then now you're up to like two to three times a week. Mm-hmm. What like as a non-email marketing person that is gonna be doing more email for uh, Stumptown? Uh, what are you like? What are the types of campaigns you're sending two or three times a week? And is it to the yeah. same audience? Is it different segments? Like, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So um, depends on the brand, right? Like what segments you're and what types of ideas, but uh, let's just use like this, this furniture brand as an example. Mm -hmm. So they talk from everything about different collections to the product benefits of a specific collection. That's their bestseller. Or maybe they talk about um, like UGC of images of people's houses who have this or design inspiration. I think if you are really close to a brand and you get it, you can have an unlimited amount of ideas. Um, and if you really want an unlimited amount of ideas, just go to chat GBT and put in, <laughs> they actually maybe don't do that because the ideas won't be very good. Um, but usually for me, I collect ideas through like really good emails.com milled. I'm checking out other brands that I know to be, you know, I don't know for sure if they're performing, these emails are performing well, but it gives me a good basis um, to have ideas from. One thing that I, recommend for you or for any brand that's like what do we send emails about it's like what are the customers pain points you can always come back to that um you know what why are they buying your product and like what purpose does it serve in their life you can always come back to that like you're never going to say it enough especially because campaigns that um convert are mostly sending to people who have signed up recently and who are on the fence And so think of it as like you're sending an ad to this person of like why they should buy. It's just another layer from your Facebook ads. Um, And then beyond there, if it's um, something that maybe they buy regularly, like multiple times, I think you can have endless ideas there as well. Um, Something that I like doing is find a brand that has nothing to do with your brand. Like let's say you sell skincare, but then you're looking at a brand you like for inspiration that sells shoes. Just look at the types of ideas they're they're putting out there and adapt them for your brand so that it's not the same. It's just a really good like creativity exercise. It's kind of like what artists do when they're copying other painters, you know, it's like, um, it's just for creativity and idea purposes. Um, but yeah, you can, I think going back to the customer pain points is always something you can send even once a week if you wanted to. Okay, cool. So that makes a lot more sense and that's helpful. Uh, for sure, and to borrow, steal, remix, copy, adjust, like from other, yeah, from other folks. Um, so then, I guess a, fo- a follow-up question on that is: you said it, it's generally people who've signed up recently, or they abandoned car, or they joined the welcome series. Mm-hmm. They, maybe they haven't purchased yet. How frequently or not are you kind of just going back a few months and resending? A campaign or like that same type of campaign like this email did well three months ago mm-hmm. and okay cool now we have totally different people in this segment like can i resend the same one should i yeah. not do that yeah yeah i think it's totally fine to resend the same email if you um change the subject line of course and then make sure that if someone has converted or and they have seen that email there's ways you can segment um to exclude them if you're concerned about that 
Um, one thing that you can do, which is a lot of brands are doing one brand. I love they're called crown affair. They have the same template for every single email. It's just the copy is slightly changed and maybe the photos you can just change your template so that let's say it's the exact same email, but the hero, um, like, or the headline is different. Um, simple. It's like the same email, but just slightly different. And, um, that's totally fine to do that, especially if you saw that it performed well and had a good conversion rate. Cool. Okay. That's so much less overwhelming <laughs> than having to be like, oh, I need to create a whole new original, brand new, never wrote this sentence before, never made this design before, like every single week as like a one-man team. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's helping. That's like fine. If you want to test, like if you want to go crazy and test ideas, like sure. But if you know something works, it's okay to reiterate on that. I mean, that's how Facebook ads work, right? Like you're just doing a variation of what's working over and over. And also like, like I said, ads aren't that hard to learn. Email marketing is even 10 times easier to learn, especially as a brand founder, because it's, you're only going to have so many layouts for your email, like design-wise, that are going to convert. <laughs> it's like usually you're, you have a hero image, you have a header, you have a subhead and a call to action and repeat. It's really not too complicated. doesn't need to be long. Actually, it probably shouldn't be long. And so when you're thinking about writing, let's say, 12 emails for in a month, um, that seems like a lot. But if you're following that same structure and shorter copy, um, and you know your audience and what works and what to talk to, it's going to be actually pretty quick for you to accomplish that. That's a handful of sentences. You're rearranging yeah. <laughs> them. You're kind of rewording them. If you have a few different products, you're, you know, you're talking about that in a different way. So yeah. that makes, that's, that's cool. That makes sense. Uh, you're, you're helping uh, ease me, uh, help, helping me. Uh, get a template, get different. a template made yeah. if you haven't. Um, yeah. One that can drag and drop in Clavio is even better. So you don't have to deal with the design of it um, too often or get templates made of Figma that you can easily change out. Um, but that'll make your life a lot easier. Yeah. So uh, with Canva or Figma or using another tool and then putting it into Clavio, um, I'm asking the like maybe dumb or simple questions, but that's my job. That's okay. It, it's like, <laughs> do you then just export it as a PNG entirely and then put it into Clavio directly? Do you like cut it up into like this section, that section, and then put it in? Like, how does that actually? Work. Yeah. So I think the phrase is like you slice it. So you uh -huh. slice the images. Um, you could do this in Photoshop too, but you slice the images and then put them into Clavio um, and you would slice them by section so that you can link to different things and add in alt text if you want to. Also that helps. So if the email hasn't loaded all of the way, if you have just one big chunk of email, it's going to take longer to load. So maybe a couple elements will load before the others. So someone knows that it's coming. Um, if your emails are taking forever to load, that's not going to be great for your conversion rate. And also um, it just means your images are probably too big or you have too much going on. Cool. I think usually a mix of having a drag and drop template in Clavio and images is the best way to go. Um, just so you have like dark mode um, capabilities so that it, you can actually read it when their phone's in dark mode, but also so you can have more design capabilities that Clavio might not have. Cool. Okay. No, that helped. Yeah, slicing. Yes, I've I've heard slicing before. Yeah. Uh, that makes that makes a lot that makes sense. Um, 
Cool. So we, we got a little bit more time. We got a couple more questions as we start to land the proverbial podcast plane. Um, so what's, uh, we're recording in the middle of January. Uh, the episode will be released in a couple weeks. So 2023 is, is a whole new, it's a new year. And every year people make these like predictions and trends. Mm-hmm. And, oh, this is what's going to change in the landscape. I'm not going to go there. Uh, more about what what have you seen over the last couple of years, uh, the changes and ad- adaptations to either email or SMS that you previously thought a different way and you're like, your mindset has shifted on it. Like, oh, I actually believe in text before I did it. <laughs> like what, what's something that has kind of like you've changed your mind about? In the last couple of years, definitely uh, changed my mind about email uh, send um, numbers. So, like, let's say that in the past I felt more like, oh, I don't want to spam customers. I don't want to bother them. Like, I let's not send a ton every week. Um, I have directly seen that the more you send, the more revenue you get. <laughs> so I that that doesn't mean you should send two emails a day every single day. Like some brands do that. Um, maybe if you're making multi-million dollars, um, you can afford that and you have the capacity for that and great. Um, but for a smaller brand, I think don't be afraid of sending too many emails. And also uh, don't be afraid of having your emails be super simple. Um, that can allow you to send more emails, but it can also allow you to test and iterate. Um, I've seen plain text emails, which is an email that just looks like a normal, regular email that you're sending maybe in Gmail. I've seen those that aren't designed at all perform way better than designed emails that take 10 times longer to create. Um, And like I said, you can have a template and just iterate on that. I think sending more emails and not giving as much of a shit about what they look like um, are two things that I've definitely changed my mind on in the past year. Yeah, that's cool. That's helpful to to know, again, me personally, but also to just reiterate and for everyone listening, is like, we are so, so close and to, like connected to these brands and products and these things we're working on. And we're, that's all we think about. And yeah. for most consumers and customers, it's like they don't even think about us every day. Or they see the email for five seconds, mm-hmm. and then that's when they think about the brand and product. Like, just because it's such a big part of your life doesn't mean it's a such a big part of their life all the time. Yeah, and to just like, and that's like you said, another argument it. to like send more because if they're only seeing your brand or remembering your brand because um, you need to see it seven times before you purchase, you know, whatever. Um, like, they need to have that frequency and. You're, like you said, it could be five seconds of them looking at the email and then they move on. Um, that's why if you spend like days making sure that the design is meticulously perfect to your brand guidelines and is cutting edge, like design forward, like that's if you're enjoying that and you have the time for that, great, but it's probably not the best use of your time. <laughs> I've seen horribly ugly emails do amazing just because they know how to talk to their audience. I think copy is really important. Um, but design is is not necessarily important past the general like UX of an email. 
Um, Like if you have clear call to actions, clear um, messaging, so someone opens the email and immediately knows what what it's about or what you want them to do, great. Beyond that, it's really up to you. Um, And it's kind of just for fun at that point. I don't know if it necessarily leads to more conversions. Yeah. So no, that's um, I'm glad you brought up brand guidelines. And especially since we're talking with generally we're talking about smaller, medium-sized brands at best, like what is your perspective on brand and brand guidelines? Like, is it, oh, you need to follow this 17 page PDF for every single thing that you do (laughs) on every marketing channel? Or is it like, is it a little different? How do you view it? Well, I think for email, um, it's real. It should be interpreted a little bit more flexibly, especially if it's going to allow for um, the email to shine better. Like, let's say you don't have any bright colors; um, you only use like two really muted colors. That's not going to be great for email because you're going to want to have some visual hierarchy and some use of color for the call to action, right? So maybe you don't use that color on your website, but let's just bring one into email. Um, Also, it is nice to have really beautiful emails. Like it feels good, especially as a brand owner, when you're building something and you see this beautiful, like cohesive product across every channel. That's great. But I think if like talking about Facebook ads, if you're really married to that and you're inflexible with um, having things not be perfect, it's going to um, slow you down and you're not going to be able to iterate as fast. So I think if, again, like if you're a design forward, like design heavy brand and it's super important to you, that's okay. But you're just gonna have to know it may come at the cost of um, being quick and agile. Cool. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And again, depends on the brand. If you're mm-hmm. a $30 this versus a $8,000 luxury this, like yeah, that, you know, huge difference. So it all depends on a grain of salt. So cool. Um, Anything that's been on top of your mind lately, uh, a recent piece of content or post you saw, kind of want to wrap things up with that, or something you wish I had asked you or came up <laughs> earlier that you want to, you know, bring up now, kind of like final thoughts here. Yeah. I mean, just to sum it up, I think testing is really important, especially when it comes to um, retention marketing. I think for every piece of marketing and e-commerce, testing is important. But in retention marketing, your welcome flow, bandit cart flow, your like main flows um, are where you're going to have the most leverage. And so making sure that you're testing them and understanding, like, is this the best we can get or can we push a little harder and that conversion rate? I think that's great. I think this year, what I'm hearing a lot already is just this idea of test and then pivot, like test and pivot over and over, whether it's when you're launching a new brand, launching a new product line or an email, it could be as simple as that. I think we should go back to our roots um, in e-commerce of like that lean startup mindset. I think a lot of people miss that. <laughs> I think this past couple of years were like a way over reliance on Facebook ads and not understanding the customer. Um, way over reliance on funding and not understanding your customer and just spending money as much as you can. And I think going back to the roots of like, know your customer, test things, then pivot is going to be a recipe for success for any brand in any facet of their marketing. Awesome. Say, say close to your customer test and pivot. Uh, yeah. It's great, like great. the three principles. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. Great way to end there. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Where do you want to point people to if they want to learn more about you, they have a follow-up question. They want to talk to about hiring you. Now's your time to plug away. Yeah. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter um, at bab underscore Sophia. 
I'm trying to spend less time on Twitter this year, so I may not be as active there, but I check in at least once a week. And then if you're interested in hiring me for attention marketing because you have a good list and maybe you don't have the time for it, but you know that you're missing some revenue opportunities, um, I'm happy to talk, especially if you're a purpose-driven brand. And you can just go to my website at um, ingoodlight.co. Awesome. Uh, thanks so much, Sophia. Appreciate it. Everyone else listening, thanks for tuning in. Uh, let us know what you thought about it. Uh, leave us a comment, message, and I would love to hear that feedback. Uh, and catch you on the next episode. Have a good day. Thank you.